ability to reconnect outdoors when many other things in our lives are stripped away, like it, it really does meet a basic need. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I speak with Whitney Schwab, Executive Director of the Five Valleys Land Trust. Whitney and her team are dedicated to preserving, protecting, and extending much of what makes Missoula the very special place it is, our incredible access to public lands and recreational opportunities. Since we recorded this conversation, Five Valleys experienced a major win with its Dean Stone project. So I asked Whitney to join me for this introduction to tell us a little bit about it. So Whitney, we talk a fair bit about the Dean Stone project in the interview listeners are about to hear, but uh, tell us what's new, what's happening now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's um, it's been an active um, few weeks since we last spoke, and we're really excited for our next steps together. We have completed um, with our partners, including Mountain Bike Missoula and others, um, especially the city in partnership with all of these efforts. Um to have the trail uh, getting one step closer to being ready for folks to get on it. And um, the trail work after many volunteer hand finishing days that were socially distanced and appropriately um, staffed uh, completed the hand finishing on the high, wide and handsome trail, which is over five miles of new trail that will connect from the South Hill spur all the way up to the top and around the Dean stone towers. So um, what's happened just over the past couple of weeks has been our next steps with the city, and we are teed up um, to come before city council on the 23rd of November, and we're really excited to have the chance to share more about this project for the city council to consider voting on, and should this be a successful process, we'll continue to work together to transfer this Dean Stone trail corridor um, to the city uh, and be ready for folks uh, to engage on ideally next summer. So is that, is that the question that's before the city council, whether they're, they're willing to accept this transfer? That's right. It is. And it's a, um, it's an ask that is coming forward. Um, It will be our first request from new um, the newly passed open space bond um, the 2018 bond that uh, that uh, the community voted yes for and um, it also provides a request to a a private gift Um, so the actual amount that we're that we're requesting um, is about 35 percent 36 percent of the overall cost of the corridor. And that's consistent with the way that we have often um, worked on projects where we're hoping to have city or county bond funds support, where we're bringing, you know, three to four dollars for every one dollar of bond funding that that the request is made for. So. Yeah. And I would assume you, you don't, you don't bring it to the city council unless you, you feel like you got your ducks in a row and your sort of your chances of success are pretty high. I'm not going to ask you to predict those chances of success, but you know, what are, what are the key arguments? Like why, why is this a good investment for the city? Oh, sure. I think that it's a, um, that the, the 
city, the investment on behalf of the city, I think, is um, is that it provides the chance to um, continue to meet community open space needs. You know, the the trail use this summer and people's need to connect outside was unprecedented. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that here in Missoula, as well as elsewhere, that was felt in a in a way that 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 we either haven't felt before or that really just hit home at how important our outdoor spaces are for um, physical health, mental health, for equity, for places to connect, um, whether you have, you know, a, a lot of resources or you have very few, it's a place where anybody can go. And that that's a really critical opportunity to have, especially during trying times. And, um, and I think that in and of itself is a, is a big win um, for our community, which of course is what's so great about the partnerships that we all work together to, to fulfill on behalf of the community. Okay. So best of luck in the city council hearing coming up. Is there anything the public can do to kind of express support or, or get more involved in, in, in this thing before the, uh, before the council meets? Absolutely. Yeah. They could, and everybody is welcome to check out on our website. We have more information about the Dean Stone Corridor and details about this effort on felt.org. You could also check the Missoula uh, Project website, which is called Engage Missoula. And and that's got a, a really great level of detail that will come before city council as well as a video showcasing the corridor. So either place could help you access more information. And finally, um, if it if it speaks to you, if you want to see this happen, please feel free to email your city council representative and let them know uh, what you think. And we appreciate all of the support that the community has shown so far for this effort and look forward to seeing seeing where it goes. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we are excited to uh, see this thing kind of come before city council and start moving forward. And I'm excited for people to learn more about you right now. Okay. So we're here today with Whitney Schwab, executive director of the Five Valleys Land Trust. Whitney, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I must say that this conversation is slightly delayed. We had listeners of this show will know that, um, you know, our family has uh, sort of entered into, I don't want to call it the chicken business because um, it's far from being a business, but we've we've acquired or welcomed some chickens into our family. However, the day we were set to record a few weeks ago, uh, another member of our family, Rory the dog, um, figured out how to, uh, basically, long story short, she ate one of the chickens. So uh, Whitney, we didn't want to record in the aftermath of that. And uh, I, I appreciate you sort of being able to uh, rearrange your schedule and do this again. So thanks for, uh, thanks for doing it. My pleasure. Um, how, how's, the, how's the recovery from the, <laughs> the chicken massacre? Oh, man. Uh, it's been okay. I, I sort of, you know, probably took it the best of the, the, the family. The, the girls, uh, yeah, it, was, it was a grisly scene. And um, Rory seems to be the happiest of... of, of <laughs> of everyone about the whole endeavor. She was quite proud of herself and uh, yeah. And life goes on. I mean, it's a great, great lesson. You know, these are, these are animals and uh, they act that way. So here we are. Anyway, enough about chickens. Uh, I'm excited to get, to get to know more about your work at five valleys. First, before we get into it, like what is, tell us about Five Valleys, and, and as you do, like, what exactly is a land trust? I mean, what role does a land trust play in management of, of land? 
That's a really good question. And um, if you look at the broad um, land trust industry, it's um, it can look very different in different places. For us here in Missoula and throughout Western Montana, broadly, um, I think that the goal of a land trust is to help meet community needs through using the tools of conservation. So for places like, you know, agricultural, um, really heavy agricultural states like the state of Kansas, they're mostly working with agricultural producers to help ensure that those lands are protected and agricultural producers have viable landscapes moving into the future. For um, places on the East Coast, um, where maybe some of the land resources more scarce due to development, sometimes that looks like a conservancy that has some lands that they own and operate on behalf of um, the public. Uh, here at Five Valleys, we have been around for 48 years. We're going to turn 50 in 2022. And we started in 1972, actually, as a River Parks Association to help meet the community need around um, helping to clean up the river corridor. And our first project um, was working with uh, Randy Jacobs, who was the president of the First Interstate Bank at the time. Um, and I mean, this was a community-wide effort. Many other partners, agencies, organizations, community members really wanted to look at how we can improve the river health. And this was back when, you know, there was a lot of trash along the river. I think there was like literally cars hanging out of the riverbanks. Um, it was the time to be able to do that. Obviously today you're downtown and it's, we can't imagine what it would be like without the Kim Williams Trail and the Jacobs Island Bark Park, which is the first land acquisition that we worked in partnership. Really? Yeah. With, um, with Randy Jacobs and First Interstate Bank. And that was a huge gift um, from First Interstate to contribute to that beginning effort. And and obviously it's it's grown since then through the work of the city and again, many other agencies and organizations and Five Valleys included. So before we get into Five Valleys, let's talk a little bit about you and how you kind of got into this work. You studied was it natural resource conservation or natural resource management as an undergrad and then worked your way here to study environmental uh, topics as a master's student. Yeah. Talk about your kind of pathway into this work and, and how you landed in Missoula. Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> this is, I, I had a realization after living in Missoula for probably seven or eight years as I was running down the saddle of Mount Jumbo with my dog and, and heading back, um, home, you know, on my feet and with my dog that I was like, oh, I think this is about recreating like the happiest parts of my childhood. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's funny how you find yourself where where you need to be. Um, it's it's it, I feel really fortunate to have had that realization and to continue to be here. Um, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I was born in upstate New York, but my family okay. moved to Boulder, Colorado and um, and I lived on six acres that backed up to privately owned agricultural lands that had mm -hmm. public access um, provided to them through the Boulder City Open Space Program or Boulder County Open Space Program. And, um, and so that was our back 40 growing up. And it just was such freedom and such a great place for exploration and a great place to 
really as a kid get to experience um, absolutely what it yeah what it means to have to see people working the land to also have access to exploring the land um, and to be a part of that kind of um, community effort and so I really loved that part of my childhood in middle school my family moved to North Carolina my dad was from eastern North Carolina and we moved to Durham, which is um, pretty urban, and mm-hmm. and it was just a very different experience for me. And um, I I really wanted to reconnect to the landscape. Um, I also love the ocean. So when I went to college, I went to the University of North Carolina at Wilmington on the coast, where I studied natural resource recreation management. And a lot of that was just around, you know, how people use coastal resources sure. and connect to that. And also from a recreation perspective, but it wasn't until I came to the University of Montana for graduate school, I moved here sight unseen. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a part of the environmental studies program, and I really appreciated their program and perspective on how to have a experiential education opportunity. Um, and I was really interested in how people can collaborate to meet a variety of community needs, um, whether that was through recreation, through connection to the land, um, and through collaborative processes. So that was my focus um, in the EVST program. And I really enjoyed getting the experience that I did then and there because it helped me understand probably some of those things that were going on when I was a kid, just, you know, exploring Mm-hmm. These protected but open agricultural lands. Um, Probably under, help you understand how fortunate you were as a child to be able to have that kind of access. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but also understanding like the the different uses and users that right, right. Um, that were there, you know. And I I can remember sitting and thinking like, how can we be upset at a at a rancher for for not appreciating wolves and killing their sheep. (laughs) Um, You know, here's somebody who's um, trying to make a living now. And I also, you know, care deeply about wildlife and obviously wolves were on the landscape before domestic sheep were on the landscape. But how, how do we, how do we coexist? How do Mm -hmm. we find the common ground? And, um, and I think I've been very fortunate in that the work that we do in conservation you know, this is the the place where we find the common ground. Um, we may not be solving, you know, sheep and wolf problems per se, but um, but in working in conservation and land protection, it is a place where people come together around uh, that that important value of caring for the landscape, um, for working lands as well as wildlife habitat. And so you worked a bit at the Montana Natural History Center and got to um, Five Valleys in, what, 2015, around there? That's right. Um, and then recently, you know, worked your way into this executive director role. First of all, congratulations on that new role. But, you know, how's it feel to sort of come into a leadership position of this scope uh, at one of the sort of pillar organizations of conservation in, in, in Missoula? Oh, it's an incredible honor. I mean, I I've, I feel deeply honored to um, be in the position to help lead our team and our partners together in carrying forward our work. It's a um, it's it's a 
tremendous legacy um, to be a part of. And in we <laughs> we have so much good work right now and in front of us that um, I, I I'm just so thrilled to get the chance to do this. It's um, I've I've really appreciated over the past five years serving in the role of philanthropy director and being a part of our team that helps ensure that we have um, the private funding sources and the community support that we need to help work together with our public funding sources and agency partners to move forward kind of the vast scope of conservation work that we uh, perform. And that ranges from everything of working with private landowners, individual families to conserve um, their property with the conservation easement as a tool to something as um, broad and vast as a community open space project like Mount Dean Stone. So Mm -hmm. it's a really, there's never a dull moment and um, it's a, it's a really neat thing to be a part of such a vast scope of work. Conservation is a really unique tool for helping achieve and contribute to the quality of life that we experience here and, and our long-term legacy of that. Yes. Let's talk about that work and some of the projects. I mean, it's, it's tempting to ask like, Hey, how's a typical project kind of work, but I'm sure they're so idiosyncratic. Um, But maybe talk about the various kind of priorities uh, for the organization right now, Dean Stone being a a huge one. And um, if you can talk about how some of the the mechanics of how these sort of, uh, how these lands go from whatever state they're in to a state where they're sort of protected and conserved and and, and open to the public. Sure. Um, I think a good, I I have a couple of examples to share, and I think probably a good place to start to to ground ourselves um, in this conversation is to think about the fact that we, our core responsibility as a land trust is to protect and then steward those lands in perpetuity. And so, you know, the conservation easement as a tool is typically partnering with private landowners um, who place a conservation easement on their property and make the commitment to uphold the values, the conservation values of those easements in, in perpetuity. So when you say protect and steward, I mean, what does protect mean to, to you yeah. and your, in your organization? Yeah. So for different, for different, different projects, it can mean different things but protect the conservation values. And so each project is evaluated for, for what conservation values it provides. And in, in land trusts in general, it could, it could be, there's a, a vast array of mm-hmm. conservation values that you could be, be providing protection for. For us, um, our, our mission is around um, protection of river corridors, wildlife habitat, agricultural lands, and community open spaces. Okay. And so, and so, when we take a look at a project, you know, in and of itself, if it's um, a, a piece of private land that um, is connected to, is a really important connector piece between public lands uh, that we know that bears move through. For example, mm-hmm. um, it's got a, a really high value of that wildlife habitat connectivity. It may also have an important river or a stream coming through it. And that may be a secondary conservation value benefit, but um, obviously the more 
values that a project can provide, the 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 the, the more value from the conservation easement standpoint that that we um, that we're able to succeed in protecting. The stewarding piece is again the ability to uphold that. So when a landowner um, protects their property, they're making the commitment to not develop on it, to mm-hmm. not change the integrity of that landscape um, and to maintain the integrity of that landscape. So so it's not simply just a not developing, it's it's active management like you know weed control and um, forest health uh, and, and, and rangeland health. And so our stewardship staff monitors that annually. So our obligation, um, if Five Valleys worked itself out of out of um, all the conservation, the new conservation work that needed to happen um, at the end of the day, we would still be forever obligated uh, to steward our conservation commitments. And right right now we have uh, 188 conservation easements that we monitor annually. We have um, several properties that we own in fee, two of which we're... um, committed to owning to for the for the long term and for the benefit of public access. One is the Rock Creek Confluence property at the mouth of Rock Creek and the Clark Fork River mm-hmm. there when you get off the highway at Rock Creek. And that's 300 acres. I've and stayed then, in that cabin right there. Oh, have yeah. you? Nice. Yeah. yeah we were yeah. just there yesterday for our board retreat and um, and uh, the barn the barn makes for a really nice meeting space, particularly during oh, times sure. of COVID. Um, but, and and I'll talk about that kind of on the mechanics of deals, because I think that was a good example of good deal structuring and a good deal outcome, particularly with the public benefit. And then our other, um, property in, uh, the, in the Lincoln area in Lincoln, we have a nine acre river park there right on the Blackfoot that is accessible from town. And that we, took on in 2016, um, again, responding to community needs. I would say both Rock Creek and Lincoln was in in response to the community saying, we want to see a conservation outcome here. How can we work together to achieve that? A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Anne Helen Peterson, and I am a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News, and you're listening to A New Angle. There were different roles that we played in each of those places and different reasons why we took on owning that land, but the outcome remains the same, that it's to meet the community benefit through conservation as that tool. Sure. So at Rock Creek, um, some of you who have been around for a very long time may remember that in the early 2000s, there was a uh, a, a neighborhood slated to be developed there right, right at the entrance. Right. And you can still see the signs up at the Fisherman's Merc right there that says no Rock Creek subdivision. And occasionally you might see an old pickup truck with a bumper sticker that says that too. Um, but it was a really contentious proposed development that um, many um, in Rock Creek did not want to see happen right there at the the entrance to the the Blue Ribbon Fishing Stream and um, the largely protected corridor there mm-hmm. up and down Rock Creek. And, um, you know, it, the timing of many things came to pass. Um, certainly a neighborhood association that was 
really not in support. Um, the fact that the economy um, took a took a big dive and that didn't benefit the developers. And then uh, the 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 right place at the right time of having an opportunity for the developers to step away from that project um, that the neighborhood association and other partners stepped up in civil can five valleys play a role in helping ensure a long-term conservation outcome for this property and we said yes and what was to to the the benefit of the time um, in in partnerships um, was with several public funding sources that were available in conservation dollars and in goals. So the Natural Resource Damages Program, um, which was, um, you know, mitigation dollars from 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 the mining impacts mm-hmm. here in in uh, Western Montana, combined with the remaining funds of the Rock Creek Trust. And to do a little sidebar here, Five Valleys was uh, administered uh, the Rock Creek Trust over many years, which was a mitigation fund from the power line corridor going through Rock Creek. And that was the work um, of many years of, of, of pursuing and succeeding and having um, conservation work um, all up and down Rock Creek. Uh, and so it was a really great way. And I think that started in the in the 80s, I don't quite have my, my dates off the top of my head on that, but, you know, 20, 20 to 25 years of work that succeeded in completion and leveraged dollar for dollar over and over again to then have that finally spent out in protecting the Rock Creek Confluence property. There was also many community members and um, private dollars that went into helping make that work. And... And the, the, the will of, of the community was to have a public access outcome and to make it possible for, for the public to be able to use it for the long term. And so at the time, um, there wasn't a clearly identified long-term landowner that, that made sense. It, you know, if it, it, it didn't it didn't make sense at the time for the forest service to take it. It didn't make sense at the time for the state park system to take it. And what did make sense, of course, was for five valleys to consider being willing to hold that as a long-term landowner. And that was a big decision for our organization. Cause as I started at the beginning of this conversation, at the beginning of the podcast stating that, you know, land trusts serve different needs in different places and use different tools to do so. So many other places land trust would hold land. And that was something that was part of their portfolio for us. That was a turning point with a Rock Creek Confluence property to make the commitment to do that. And, um, and we did, and we continue to hold it to this day. Well, and that, I mean, I think therein lies the kind of magic of what y'all do in the sense that these things are so complicated and you sort of serve as this go between, like there's this immediate need for action, like there was in the, in the case of Rock Creek. And, you know, you have to make this assessment. Is this, is this a sort of action we, we can deliver on? And then all the pieces that go into that, like you have to sort of assemble this constellation of, of people, of activists, of money, of skills to make a deal kind of come to life. And then, yeah. and then the other side of it too, like deciding, is this, are we going to, 
take a long-term ownership or do we have a, 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 a way to transfer this to another uh, organization, agency, whatever? Yeah, that these are, yeah, the complexity has got to be the, the heart of the challenge. And then being able to communicate that is, is also a challenge for sure. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, a good, in contrast to that, like w- one of the things that I think is, um, because this is in the, has been communicated pretty clearly in the public sphere here in Missoula over recent years is our Mount Dean Stone project. And mm-hmm. that's been a tremendous community partnership that's brought forward. Um, I mean, nothing communicates conservation more than, um, than, than people literally having the public access you know, right here to step onto a new trail yeah. and just to, to be at a new Vista point and see a new view of Missoula and our work in partnership with the city um, early on around um, the Barmeyer trail and getting up onto the South Hill spur is an example of that. Now what came out of that effort in 2015 and 2016 was um, the formation of a community committee called the Mount Dean stone committee, which has agencies, um, organizations, you know, recreation user groups, businesses, individuals, uh, you know, all of the folks who want to see the Mount Dean Stone project flourish and come online um, as our next uh, big community resource for open space lands. And, you know, (laughs) to give you the kind of um, peek behind the curtain, um, we've been in the process for the past three or four years of taking a connection point of the top of the South Hill Spur there and getting up to the top. And by the time we've, we've just completed um, the building of the High Wide and Handsome Trail um, this fall, which if it stays on course, um, as we're all working together with our partners to do, it, it, it will be open to the public sometime next summer. And by the time people are putting their feet on it, nobody's thinking about the seven complex land deals that it took to get from the bottom to the top. And those seven deals that have been happening behind the the scenes range from us purchasing, fully purchasing property um, to make the connection happen to some landowners donating their property to help make that land happen, Mm -hmm. others partially donating. uh, other adjacent neighbors working creatively to do a, a land exchange um, so that they're getting a, a different piece that helps their goals and and we're able to help have the right piece on the landscape contours where a trail could appropriately go. Um, all the way to getting up to the top, as you know, with those radio towers up there, um, working with telecommunications companies around how can we um, help secure land while also protecting the, the 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 public from you know the the radio towers so sure. yeah it's it is it is it becomes really vast when you think about the devil in the detail um and it, what it will be is a four and a half mile trail from the spur up to the top um and in what people will experience is a really positive user experience at an 8% grade or less, which is, again, in listening to what Missoula, Missoula's needs are, having those more broadly accessible trails rather than the just steep 
shots up and down was really what people wanted to see and have access to. So we're really excited for that to reach people's feet next summer and looking forward to hearing the feedback as well when that happens. Yeah, let's, let's kind of drill on that a little bit, Whitney. I mean, you mentioned the, the grade of the trail and the importance of accessibility and it's sort of meeting the needs of the community. Yeah, I mean, sometimes trails are you know really hard and steep or hard, hard to move through and there's this kind of like this this concept of equity as far as people should have equal access but maybe equal opportunity to to enjoy the resource how do you how do you kind of think about that i mean it's sort of i could see how this could fall into like an ableist framing in a, in a lot of ways yet at the same time um you know there's there's something to moving through the landscape that that is special how do you how do you think about that in terms of creating those opportunities for for as many people as possible yeah yeah that's a really good question and it's one that we we have we have begun to chip away at over Mm -hmm. the past several years particularly in our goals around universal trails and um and helping to provide more accessible trails not just from a grade and steepness, you know, perspective, but also for um, different types of users, you know, having them be accessible to people in wheelchairs, having them be more accessible for people who are, um, who are sight impaired. Um, This is one of the things that our Rock Creek Confluence property has been just a gift um, to have because it, it has become our living laboratory for, um, for testing out some of these, it's a place to start for testing out how we can begin to address those needs. Um, we've worked uh, in partnership with Summit Independent Living, um, particularly around um, a universal trail development project at the confluence um, to help broaden our ability to, to meet those needs um, of varieties of user groups um, who may have um, physical disabilities and barriers to access that way. Summit's also played a role uh, in our Dean Stone conversations around how and where we can improve our accessibility throughout that project. Um, and, but that's one piece. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, equity runs, you know, deep uh, and it includes many other barriers besides physical ability. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got mental health, income, access to transportation, um, race, cultural background, um, you know, gender. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very vast, um, scope and we've, we've not only begun, but continue to have those conversations. I think that we're in a place more broadly culturally that, that, that there's awareness among, um, among our community and our community around that. And, and we appreciate being a, continuing to be a part of that conversation and um, innovating how we can and where we can. And my sense is that that we will, in the coming years, continue to become more organized and strategic in how we do so. And we'll continue to call upon the resources that we have, like the Rock Creek Confluence property, where, where as a private landowner, um, that's looking to provide public access to, you know, to all kinds of user groups, we can go and tinker around pretty quickly and easily and test things and see if they work. 
Whereas as part of a much larger public process, such as a project like Dean Stone, you know, what we're able to, to do at the confluence can help form those partnerships and form best practices um, to be able to apply to a much bigger scale and a, a broader effort. So this summer we hosted uh, Universal Trails and Outdoors for Everyone okay. um, workshop. That was in July. Um, <laughs> we, we we started planning for it in, I think, December or January of last year. Uh, and, a lot changed. Um, yeah. And a lot changed. And so it was a bit of a nail biter to, to see if we were going to be able to get people together and and have folks convene. We were able to do so at the at the barn at the confluence, which was great. We we hosted uh, Larry Knutson from Penn Trails, which is a he's a, um, a nationwide known expert around universal trails and universal trail access. And we were able to host a variety of um, government and other NGO partners, as well as some folks who are in the trail business, uh, to join us for this workshop. Um, and then we worked with our community partners to host a virtual panel to dis- to begin to discuss these barriers to access. And, you know, again, it, I think it's a continuum. I think it's a, a an effort to strive um, and to make progress on, and, and we will continue to do so. I think that our alignment around um, really focusing some strategic efforts that are project base will be coming forward, you know, in the near term and in the coming years. But again, the fact that our community is really having those discussions and will continue to have those discussions helps folks work better together um, to realize better outcomes. Sure. And, you know, and, and, and this is such an interesting time too, for, for you and, and, and your peers in your organization, we were thinking about ways to make access as broadly available as possible, but at the same time, and I think COVID sort of heightened this, particularly in our community, the pressure on these resources from people wanting to get on there, all kinds of people. You know, we've seen a tremendous pressure on our trailheads, tremendous pressure on the trails themselves. You know, people sort of loving these places to death in a way. Not not quite. I mean, that's an exaggeration. But that's got to be on your mind as a, as a leader in conservation. How do we kind of reconcile the uh, the demands that people have uh, to consume the resource in a way? Well, I think that's that's right. I mean, that's one piece, and I think that what's really deeply on our minds too is how do we how do we have this resource accessible to 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 more people, to the people who yeah. need it. I mean, our physical and mental health is, um, is <laughs> we, it's become a growing known um, body of research. And I think COVID has helped underscore just that, that need that we have to connect to the land and to connect to the outdoors for physical and mental health. And when you think about um, that kind of primal need, I'm sure that you witnessed it as much as I did and probably experienced it for yourself after we were locked up this spring and just the ability to reconnect outdoors um, when every, when many other things in our lives are stripped away, like it, it really does meet a basic need. And, 
And when we think about just the challenges that our um, nation faces and our communities face with where we are from the impacts of COVID and the economic um, impacts of that as well, like the the opportunity to um, get outside and connect to the land is um, it's free. Um, you know, obviously you've got to get there, um, but those places are needed more than ever, in my opinion, as a uh, important place to provide respite and, um, and and reconnect and recharge during a really challenging time. Absolutely. And so Whitney, I know we only got a few more minutes of your time here. Um, but I want to just ask, you know, these, these, as you, you kind of work through the mechanics of a couple of these deals, the Rock Creek Confluence, the, the, the Dean Stone, and, and the complexity of those is immense. Is there anything you want the public to know that you don't think they have a good sense of? Maybe that's some behind the scenes knowledge or, or what? Like, what do we need to know that, that we just don't know? Huh, that's a very good question. I, I do think that um, it would probably surprise people to know just what um, what 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 technical legal expertise is required to ensure um, uh, the legal binding framework to conserve sure. our landscapes and whether it has a public access outcome or not. Um, you know, and and I think too. You know, it's funny. I think about how I I look at some of our areas, um, you don't realize what, you know, unless you're using like the Onyx app and it's turned on, you often don't know what, what land you're standing on. Yeah. Like, oh, this has yeah. public access, but look, I'm on, I mean, I, I was just looking at this on Mount Sentinel the other day that, you know, there's multiple landowners, um, even though we all just um, use it as a publicly accessible piece of land, the, the forest service is involved, the you know, the city, the University of Montana, and, mm-hmm. and you, you just don't think about that when you're standing there. But the, the, I mean, I don't even, and I'm, I'm in the middle of it, you know, um, and, and underneath all of that is that, um, that uh, agreements and, um, and, and legal underpinnings that have helped ensure not only the protection of that resource, but the, the plan for how to manage and steward it into the future, because as we all know, it's not enough just to get something conserved. We've got to be able to continue to take care of it and manage it. And that's a significant, um, a significant role um, for landowners and land agencies and managers to play. Um, and, and I think for us too, um, to give voice to our private landowners who have made the decision to conserve the property it really does, whether we ever stand on those lands or not, it really does provide um, a, a hugely public benefit. When you drive from here up to Sealy Lake, uh, you know, a huge portion of that corridor going through Potomac and Greeno and, um, and on up the Blackfoot is, is our protected landscapes. We will have those scenic view sheds forever um, as they are. And that's, that's a significant benefit that I think that can oftentimes not be, um, visible or consciously thought about. Right. Yeah. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not easy and it requires a long, long grind. Um, Patience and persistence at the same time. That's right. (laughs) hundred percent. 
Uh, Whitney, thanks so much for you know your leadership in this community and the important work that you and your colleagues at Five Valleys are engaged in. How can people learn more about your organization and get involved if they want to find oh, you Oh, please, please check our website at fvlt.org and our Instagram and Facebook pages as well. It's all, they're all connected pretty in sync. So if you land on any one of those three places, you'll, 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 you'll join our fold. And, um, and as always, give us a ring, send us an email. Um, we'd love to connect and look forward to a time, hopefully next spring, when we're able to engage more together out on the landscape. 100%. Whitney, thanks so much and happy trail. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot with support from the University of Montana College of Business and Consolidated Electrical Distributors. AJ Williams is our producer. Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you like what you heard, Tell your friends about us. Thanks a lot and see you next time.